You are listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. Hi, everyone. Welcome. We are live for the weekly crypto recap show. I'm super, super happy to have these three awesome people joining me today. We have Zafoy, we have Miss Satoshi, uh, aka Sarah Blinko, and we have the Crypto Lark. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Thanks. Thanks. So we have a lot to chat about today. As usual, a lot of things have happened during the week uh, in the markets. I have my tea here, so if anyone else, as I promise, every single week, you know, I get my tea ready. It's a nice way to unwind at the end of the week to just relax on a Friday and listen to all the things that have gone on with crypto during the week. So. With that, I'm rocking the coffee. Happy was, Saturday morning, guys. Happy Saturday morning. <laughs> from New so, Crypto, Crypto Lark is tuning in from Wellington. So, thanks Ooh. so much for being here early yeah, in the morning. Absolutely. Your weekend's already started. So, you're in the future. Uh, how's crypto doing there? <laughs> it's all over, guys. Went to zero. <laughs> oh, <We're> no. Because <laughs> that's how time travel works. Uh, well, let's go ahead and jump straight into it. So, obviously, there's been some new updates about ETFs and things are uh, happening. So basically, long story short, if you haven't tuned in la last few weeks to quickly update you, you had the Winklevoss twins, they put in their ETF proposal, it was shut down. Then you had the SEC commissioner herself talking about it, where she basically uh, posted a comment and uh, also posted a letter. So she says, let me just pull that up. Uh, she disagrees with the agency's Winklevoss Bit Bitcoin ETF rejection. Uh, she says that the SEC was overstepping their boundaries. Um, it says, in, like to quote, the commission steps beyond its limited role when it focuses instead on the quality and characteristics of the market underlying a product that an exchange seeks to list. So that was really interesting to have the SEC commissioner her, uh, herself actually uh, mentioning that. So now what's happened is last week we said that there were nine ETFs uh, waiting. There's a, you know, what's going to happen with them. And then they were all denied. And everyone was like, okay, again, I uh, kind of expected that. And then suddenly there's been a, a, a an update. So do you guys want to want to jump in and let people know what's happening now? So they are... Uh rejected all nine of them saying that uh, Bitcoin might be susceptible to fraudulent transactions and manipulation. So they're going to turn, turn away all of these nine different ETF items. Then the uh, commissioner who I have up here, Hester Pierce, she is one of five commissioners and she was the one who objected to the Winklevoss rejection. And she tweeted saying, nope, I've called this back for review because any of the five commissioners can do that. That doesn't necessarily mean anything good. That could just be her mm -hmm. saying, I, I want to throw a hissy fit and I will object to what everybody else wants. But at the same time, it's, it is nice to have somebody up there who seems to be on our side. So supposedly a couple of their deadlines were today. I don't really know how the deadlines work when they're called back for review though. So that seems odd. And of course there is still the, Van Eck one that was delayed on August 7th until September 30th, though that of course is a Sunday. And since we know that nobody in the government works on weekends, that's really going to be October 1st or September 28th when that decision is released. So a lot is still happening. I was kind of actually hoping that when these nine were rejected that we'd just be done with it for a while, but we're not. 
we still have to wait for the government to make up their minds about what us peons are allowed to do with our money. <laughs> it's insane. When you, when you say that they're closed on the weekend, I just think, how are these people making the decisions about crypto? They don't even get it. It's like it's 24 seven guys. <laughs> if you sleep more than four hours a night, you're behind in crypto. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, it's it's funny that they come out and say, well, you know, we're worried about manipulation in the Bitcoin markets and things like this, because honestly, these guys, you know, all the regulators basically sat and watched the 2008 financial crisis unfold. They let all that bad stuff happen and they just said, Meh. And when it happened, they said, well, that's fine. Everyone keep getting their bonuses. No one's going to go to jail. Everything's OK here. And then to be pulling these arguments out on the Bitcoin thing just screams of hypocrisy to me. Oh, it's all about control. It is 100% about control. And, you know, a lot of people I know say that, oh, nothing's going to happen until the bankers say, cool, we have enough crypto. You can let the rest of the people get out. Yeah. I know, right? That's what I feel. Were these <laughs> mine that were rejected fractionalizing Bitcoin? Like, I know Vanek is planning not to fractionalize it. And it's uh, so is there a difference between these nine that just went through and the one of Vanek oh. at the end of the month? From my understanding, most of the nine were actually futures based, not physical based. Okay. So these would be based on the future markets at CBOE and whatnot. So who knows what's going to happen there and how that works. I'm not a huge fan of the futures markets either, but it is a thing that will happen no matter what. So, so I, I think that I'm laughing at your narwhal. <laughs> it holds my team. Isn't that great? That's awesome. That's, That's awesome. I guess we we should have told a little bit, uh, said a little bit about each of you. Um, so, Sarah, do you want to tell us like a line about your company just before we jump back in? Because I didn't really introduce what you guys are all part of. So we have, um, yeah, awesome companies, awesome shows. So go go through and just give give everyone a sentence so they know who you who they're talking to. Sure. I'm Sarah. You can find me on Twitter, Miss Satoshi. I'm the founder of a company called Dual Stream Technology. We compare human intelligence to artificial intelligence to help people make better trades in the market with our product called narwhal.ai. Awesome. That's the, that's the narwhal in the, in the tea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Crypto Lack, you want to want to tell us? Yeah, about Sure. So I'm a, a, you know, I make videos on the internet talking about cryptocurrencies, basically. And so the main portal is YouTube, but uh, it's kind of spreading everywhere. Obviously, try and post as much on like Steam it as I can, just in case of censorship. But um, yeah, that's kind of kind of it. Make yeah. lots of daily daily news videos and interviews and talk about crypto when when and where I can, basically. So if you haven't checked out his channel, then you really should. He's very popular on YouTube, one of the more popular YouTubers talking about Bitcoin, some awesome interviews there uh, about what's going on in the space. So check out that channel. It's The Crypto Lark. Uh, and Zaphoid, aka Chris, do you want to tell us about Smart Cash? I'm Chris Karabatz. I'm with the Smart Cash Support Hive. We're a uh, cryptocurrency focused on putting the currency back in crypto. We want to be used as a payment solution. We want to make it quick and easy to make payments. And also we are community backed and have a uh, community project fund similar to a couple other cryptos out there that funds some nice things like um, uh, development or outreach or right now, our biggest fund is to Ben Swan. We are supporting all of his videos. So we're uh, quite happy to be here and thrilled, thrilled to help people in places like Venezuela and Brazil free themselves from the theft that is fiat currency. 
Absolutely, and we are going to talk about uh, that later on in the show as well. But I'll be posting links uh, to everyone's platforms in the video, so make sure you check that out so you can uh, check out these companies and shows and all of that awesomeness. Uh, so just a question about ETFs. So on the one hand, I mean, you, you've got to think people were, were getting into Bitcoin because they wanted to get away from the traditional financial system. And now there's all of this focus on ETFs at the moment. Everyone's wondering, like, is it going to happen? Isn't it going to happen? The market's been going up and down, it seems, in response to this. We've seen a lot of market movements leading up to decisions and then drops uh, after things have been rejected. So it does seem that there's uh, a lot of people who own crypto who are interested in the ETF. And I'm wondering, is that just because it just widens the market so much. I mean, people who aren't already involved in Bitcoin, it can be a little bit scary to get involved. They probably don't realize how easy it is. Um, and there's probably a barrier to entry with, you know, I don't know anything about this exchange. I don't know whether it's going to steal my money. Mm -hmm. I heard of this thing called Mt. Gox. Am I going to get goxed, you know, um, when, when I put my money in here? So I think there's an uncertainty there. Whereas when you have things that within the regulated financial uh, industry, people can feel more comfortable with that because maybe they're already dealing with ETFs, maybe they've got a gold ETF, um, or maybe, you know, they've got an ETF that tracks the SP or something like that. So it's something that they're already used to. And so I'm wondering whether this is just a comfort factor and what we need is better education to teach people like, yes, these are good platforms to use. These are you know, kind of sketchy platforms you may want to stay away from. Maybe it's on us that we haven't been clear enough about how easy it is to get involved. Yeah, it's it's definitely tricky in terms of why everyone thinks that we need the ETF. And this is something I've been saying on the channel is that Bitcoin is still Bitcoin without the ETF. And there's been all this emphasis put on it in terms of people get excited. Like, OK, we want to see this happen in the market because we're going to invite all this big money in. But yeah, at the same time, when we're inviting that big money, we're, we're literally inviting Wall Street to the party like this is like the antithesis of Bitcoin in so many ways, but they're coming whether we like it or not. And this is something I've been saying for a while is that the ETF's going to happen. It's not a question of if it's going to happen, but when it's going to happen. And when it does happen, you have to realize that you've just invited the guys to the party who are gonna come in and like, you know, drink all the beer and start a fight. Like, <laughs> that's what we've done. <laughs> and I think on that front as well, somebody was asking the other day, you know, well, or they, I guess it was on Twitter, they were saying that this ETF was actually going to make Bitcoin legitimate. And I believe that the first transaction between Satoshi and Hal Finney was the first <laughs> legitimate. Uh, that was the proof of this legitimate That's software right. because there was a peer-to-peer -peer transaction with nobody able to stop it. And so, you know, I think that there's potentially like what Naomi was saying is that maybe there's a little lack of understanding of really how simple it is to uh, acquire Bitcoin. And most of the time, it's just asking your now social network who's got it and who's willing to show you how to open up a wallet and send you five bucks and you can buy him coffee. And I think like that, that simplicity that was just like the norm back in the early days of how you share Bitcoin with friends is now like you've got to sign up for a, an exchange and give them all your information, which isn't actually true. You can, you know, take your friend out to coffee and <laughs> buy some from them. So... 
Yeah, there are lots of different ways to get involved and it's so much easier than people realise as well. So maybe that's just something we need to do. We've got to work on communication. Um, it is hard to break through the noise though. Mainstream media has this monopoly on the narrative of Bitcoin and it's all about, you know, stay away until it's fully regulated. Like you look at the, the regulated financial industry. Bernie Madoff was completely regulated. You know, in the 2008 housing crisis, it was a completely regulated market. Like all of these things happened in a world that was regulated and we pretend the government's going to come in and save the day with Bitcoin. It's like, oh, well, they'll make it legitimate. They'll make it safe. So I, um, I mean, at the end of the day, if it means more people getting access to Bitcoin and starting to understand it and feel comfortable with it, I'm all for that. I think that's really exciting. If it doesn't happen, I mean, things will continue on as they have forever. You know, Sarah, you mentioned the first legitimate transaction. It's like when people put like Peter Schiff say, well, Bitcoin has no real world value. It's like that, that was established again in 2010 when we had the first transaction of Bitcoins for real world goods, when that guy bought two pizzas. Like there, you just established how much value it has. It has as much value as people are willing to pay for it. And right now mm. people are willing to pay a lot of money for it because they see a tremendous amount of value uh, in this digital asset. So we're going we're gonna to see what happens there maybe people are never going to get it and maybe that's okay and maybe it's not for everyone um it would be nice if more people understood the traditional banking system and you know what centralized control over the money supply does you think that things like venezuela which as i said we will talk about in a second would be a wake-up call but you know people seem to turn a blind eye to that sort of thing so i don't know what we're gonna do it is up to us to make the tools that everybody can use. That 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 is what we have to do. Yep. We we are the early adopters. It is our jobs to educate other people and make the tools, not blame them for not getting involved. Absolutely. Yep. I like Let's move on to the next topic. So right now in the Bitcoin Cash community, they're talking about a fork. And sort of different camps have emerged that are really starting to splinter again. Like it, it's funny because it goes back to, I, I mentioned this before in my interview with Andreas Antonopoulos. He said that all of this splintering in the community and all of this, you know, fractured tribalism really is a luxury that we're enjoying because we've forgotten what it's like to have a common enemy. You know, he said the irony is that, you know, it, 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 if the government were to launch a full-scale attack against cryptocurrency, we'd probably all band back together and realize who the common enemy is here. Um, but mm. instead, we've got all these different camps. It's happening in Bitcoin Cash as well. Um, Craig Wright is, is kind of uh, full steam ahead on, on uh, a fork that he wants. And apparently, it's going to go ahead in, in November. And then people like Vitalik are saying, well, they should just let you know, that side of Bitcoin Cash leave because then they would separate themselves from people like Craig Wright, um, you know, fraudsters in the in the industry who don't deserve to be associated with um, with some of these uh, these awesome things. So tell, tell me what your thoughts are on this and if you've been keeping up with the Bitcoin Cash fork. It's, it's absolutely crazy what's going on. As soon as they started giving power to Craig, I felt that that delegitimized their entire community. And and Andreas is completely right. Here we are, you know, all divided and yelling at each other and all this stuff. And it's just the point of Bitcoin is so we can replace all this divisiveness and take away the power from the big banks and all this stuff. And I feel like what they've done with Bitcoin Cash is be very destructive overall to the entire cryptocurrency ecosystem. Giving power to Craig Wright is not good. 
seeing what um, the advantages that Bitmain has had, for example, with mining and them being the big pushers behind Bitcoin Cash. It just screams of corporatism. It screams everything that Bitcoin was not designed to be in spite of them saying the opposite. I think the only thing that I have to add is uh, I think it's absolutely hilarious. You know, Vitalik's quite funny. And when he brought out the Bitcoin Craig should that the Bitcoin cash fork should adopt the BCC for BitConnect because it's a defunct (laughs) scam and they can just take over in it. It reminded me that, you know, there's there's humor to be had in (laughs) all of these and Mm -hmm. the memes will be great as this rolls out in November. (laughs) I don't know much about the details of it, but. You know, it's all open source software and we're in the free market of currency right now. That's this right. Is what's going to happen. And this is just, you know, moving forward, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with this in a sane and rational way and not freak out all, every time somebody talks about starting their own currency or splitting mm-hmm. I mean, how many, how many currencies have we uh, created by forking existing currencies so far? A hell of a lot. That's, that's mm-hmm. exactly how this was designed. You don't need to get the permission of all these people. Like when you look at a political structure like in America, where it's literally 51% of the population controlling 49% of the population, that's a crazy system right there. You know, um, it, wouldn't it be so much nicer if you didn't have to live under the laws uh, that you completely disagree with and that 49% of the population you know, disagree with? With also, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be great if you could just say, "Okay, well, we believe this. We're going to go over here," and that's sort of what you know, blockchain infrastructure and Bitcoin has enabled. It has enabled people to say, "Well, we differ in our opinions on how this is going to work. Let's go our separate ways, and that's okay." What I don't like is how people treat this like it's the end of the world, and they're like, "It's a fork. We need to stick <laughs> together." It's like, no, we absolutely don't need to stick together. You know, um, and if these markets are liquid enough, if there's, there's like we've we've shown at the moment that you can have competing currencies. And maybe mm-hmm. Andreas is right again when he says that the future isn't going to be one currency winning out, which is what people have thought of in the past. There's always been this notion that, you know, the best money will win out. And it's interesting, Jeffrey Tucker and Gene Epstein, they do a, a fun series for my show that I call The Utopian and the Curmudgeon because that just summarises both of them up perfectly. Um, but they're both Austrian economists who talk in detail about where Bitcoin derives its value and and all of that. But, but they've talked about this at, at length about Uh, they've debated because they're actually on differing sides about this about whether or not the best money wins out in the end or maybe you can have competing currencies because at the moment we kind of do have competing currencies already first of all you've got nation states with their competing currencies second of all i mean you've got gold which is used by some people for for trade then you've got cryptocurrencies which are used then you have like credit systems within starbucks or paypal or all of this which are kind of their own little ecosystems as well if you're inside the prison system maybe you're trading cigarettes so depending on the ecosystem we already have different things competing at the moment. So I'm wondering whether in the future we are just going to have different currencies for different purposes. And if you like one, you can go for that one. You don't have to drag the others down in this you know, battle of wills and egos. Uh, you can maybe coexist and that's okay. Like, I don't think it's a winner's take all world, but I don't know. Do you guys have a, a differing opinion on that? Just like with everything, technology has lowered the barrier to entry and given us choice. This is, you know, it's a great, big, wide, scary world out there now that we don't have to rely on Big Brother for our money. And it's exciting. It's really exciting to see the the innovation going on. I mean, Smart Cash is one of those projects. This is the thing is there'll be some people who 
the smart cash community speaks out to them. The smart cash technology speaks out to them. Other people will go, nah, I'm a Pivx guy or Monero guy, or I like the corporate side of Dash or whatever it might be. And they, they'll kind of come together in these communities. And that's, it depends on, does the currency have a community? Do people accept it? Do people trade it? And that's what's gonna give these things value. And when it comes to like the Bitcoin cash fork, for example, the only, I look at that as a bad thing for the Bitcoin cash community because it's going to split an already divided community even farther, which was already a very fragile community. Instead of working to build together, the egos are bringing it down. So it's really nice to see a lot of other projects that don't have that kind of inner conflict and are building nice, strong communities where everyone's kind of on the same page and are trying to work to for the bigger purposes, right? Yeah. I think also the um, platforms that will succeed will be the ones that create interoperability between mm-hmm. the assets of people's choice. So if I really love, you know, basic attention token and then, but I don't need all of my money and that I want to be able to still go over and maybe tip somebody over here with their this currency. And I want to be able to buy clothing with this currency. I want to be able to have cash in my hand to go travel or whatever. The, the ability and like I think what what really will be focused on is the user interface where people don't necessarily have to know all of these tokens um, <laughs> down the road. They'll just know that they've got this one one or two or three base currencies that can be extremely accessible to getting them to whatever they want. Yeah, I definitely agree that that's, that's going to be the future. I mean, we don't know how it's going to play out. We're at really early stages right now, and it's an exciting time to be in the industry. So let's uh, let's chat back in five years and see what's happened and where we've landed. Maybe the SEC will have made a decision about the ETS by then, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> um, <laughs> so talking about uh, Big Brother, um, I want to move to China. So you've had a uh, crypto media banned from WeChat. There's been that some online slip sweep. And currently in China, things are kind of ambiguous there. So there's an implicit ban on cryptocurrency there. Apparently the regulation, like its, its terms are, it, it prohibits financial firms holding or trading cryptocurrencies. So it's, that's outright prohibited. Um, but then there are some interesting cases where there are certain companies that you know, are still able to work with with, with blockchain tech, and suddenly that's not considered crypto uh, cryptocurrency. You've also still got China. I think that's seventy one or is eighty one percent of the of the Bitcoin hash rate is still comes from China. Mm-hmm. So it's illegal there technically, but it's uh, all of this stuff still going on there. And then in, in uh, early this year, you had the People's Bank of China who announced that the State Administration for Foreign Exchange would crack down on Bitcoin mining. So it seems that they're getting even more heavy handed there. Um, so you've got this this ban happening at the moment from WeChat. And then at the same time, you've got this Chinese bank issues securities worth $66 million on the blockchain. So these seem like very competing narratives coming out of China. Let's start with the uh, the WeChat ban. Someone want to take the reins on that? Um, it's it's part of the problem when you're building your cryptocurrency around a centralized application that's entwined with an even more centralized government. You're at risk to be shut down like this. But you know, it's the Chinese tendency to want to control things. I think it's also similar to the Facebook experience where Facebook said they weren't going to allow for any advertisers, mm-hmm. uh, shut everything down. And then and then the echoes through the chambers of Silicon Valley are like, well, it's because they're looking at 
partnering with, I think it was Stellar or something to uh, roll out their own payment network in inside of Facebook. And so I see that with almost very similar with the WeChat is that, um, yeah, they're probably, you know, for the public safety because these things are so dangerous and risky, but it's also, it's probably advantageous for them to cut down on it so that when they roll something out, they have full eyes and impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the re- five hours ago on my feed was Alipay is cracking down on OTC exchanges of crypto. So likely for similar reasons that you just brought up with WeChat, I would guess. Yeah. It all comes back to control. And this is, this is really what we're seeing in China more than anything. It's, they are a centralized government whose authority is being challenged by decentralized money and they can't control it. And because they can't control it, it's an existential threat to their power. And the fact that all these things are going on, it's just Bitcoin's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of people being able to move money freely around without them watching in. When we start to come to, you know, decentralizing the internet and that they won't be able to have their firewall stop people from looking up things like freedom and liberty and all these ideas that literally, if you go to Google in China and type in the word freedom, it just comes back with zero search results. And so it's insanity. And this kind of control, we think, okay, it's only a China thing. And, but as we mentioned with Facebook, Facebook is not as tightly controlled, it's tightly in bed, we could say, with the government as we see like with WeChat in China. But the fact that, you know, Facebook and the Atlantic Council and all these people are kind of meeting together, there's such a close connection there. And I'm sure it only takes one phone call to make certain people disappear nowadays. And I feel like the precedent's being set on Facebook. So it's just because it's happening in China doesn't mean it can't happen happen elsewhere. And the the ad ban was kind of the start of I know of some big Facebook groups, um, Crypt Zero, Omar Bomb, he um his group of like ninety thousand people was cut on Facebook. No explanation, just see you later. And his account was deleted, the other admin's yep. accounts were deleted, no explanations for any of it. It's That's all right. about control and they're really hitting people from all sides because they're hitting the social media. And then I think like maybe a couple, 12, 12, 13 hours ago, Bitmain said that they weren't going to sell any more miners unless they did full KYC. So you can't even buy hardware now without having the ability to completely expose your personal data. Wow. That's so, that's, it makes me so angry. Like this system was literally created so you didn't have to do that because we've proven time and time again that giant banks do not have the necessary security measures to protect our data. The number of hacks there are, the the amount of identity theft that goes on Mm -hmm. because you have to just give all this information to them and they say, well, just give it to us, but we'll store it safely. No one's going to get access to us. Like, so why is identity theft like a trillion dollar industry? Like, Mm -hmm. clearly, you're not protecting this information. So Bitcoin <laughs> comes along where you you don't have to, I mean, the whole whole reason for the KYC, it's basically so you know, like if we're talking about protection of the consumer, it's so that you know who you're exchanging with so that they're not going to rip you off when you're doing something. You know who's on the other end of the transaction. So that makes sense. But if you have mathematics securing that transaction and you know what's going to go through no matter what and you have nothing to worry about, about, you know, them not sending the money and it's all, you know, it's cryptographically secure as well. Like you, there's, it's, just eliminates this problem you don't need to provide your personal details and of course the government touts this line of we're protecting you from money launderers and all of this stuff and it's like 
like the, the US dollar does far more uh, harm with in regards to money laundering. If you think that's a, that's an issue, then Bitcoin is has done it all, you know? And yet we talk about Bitcoin as if it's this awful thing that's enabling terrorists and enabling money laundering. Uh, it's like, it's just a tiny, tiny <laughs> fraction of money laundering uh, that, that's going on. Like it's, it's almost an insignificant amount. And yet no one's talking about banning US dollar at all. Yeah, that that's narrative nothing. drives me crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. And, and you're also talking about like the Facebook bans and all that. I mean, in China at the moment, the amount of control they've got going on, they've got the social credit scores, which I just think is just terrifying and Orwellian. And I mean, we laugh about that and say, how can that country do that? But are we really doing dissimilar things here when there's just all of this outrage uh, you know, about like comedians can't make jokes anymore and you're, like, you're not allowed to make joking tweets because you'll get fired from your job. Like all of the social media and all the things we put online seem to accumulate and create what amounts to like this social credit score that people can you know, go through and see your internet he history and make um uh, judgments against you. And I mean, I think reputation is great in a free market and that's what makes things uh, things work. But there is sort of something sort of scary when people start entering the narrative and saying, well, government should now take over Facebook. Government should now be in charge of the internet and censoring it because we know best. Like when it starts taking that turn, it starts to get a little bit frightening. Mm -hmm. Also the turn of actually like giving a score that whether it be centralized or a decentralized score from people, you know, like we all perceive reputation of someone from multiple data points, right? But when you then have this external data point, well, you're a 70 out of 100 because you don't stop and give money to people or whatever. Other people see that and go, oh, like I maybe thought you were a 90 because I see you being so giving. And then, you know, like these external scores, you have to realize that uh, they're quite a bit more impactful than like the data points that people would recall when they're thinking about somebody um, that they maybe only mm. know a little bit and want to choose to do business with. Wasn't and then there a of course, your episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's a, uh, it's kind of a scary world when you watch black mirror and it like kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, One thing I want to remind everybody about China, just as an aside here, they did invent fiat currency. They had the first non-backed currency back in the uh, 1200s, I believe. Well, then there's a there's a difference of how you define fiat as well. So I think today we tend to use it as unbacked, but originally it, it means money by decree. So mm -hmm. I think like the original government money is like whatever they say is, this is now the money supply and you will accept this coin and you're not allowed to accept anything else. And, um, and so I think that's an important distinction because value is just so subjective. When you say it's backed by something, the commodity is backed mm -hmm. by only really has value because of the value imbued in it as well. Yeah. So you get into a kind of crazy territory there. Um, so yeah, all these things going on in China, what's going to happen? Uh, like, I mean, we saw the market took a huge hit when, when China came out and said that they were, they were banning cryptocurrencies. And then we have seen the market move along with what um, the, the Chinese policies. Although as years go by, I see it having less of an impact. It's almost like we've sort of been there and we've mellowed out a little bit. And the markets don't, uh, even with the ETF stuff, you know, before there was a huge buildup and a huge crash. And now everyone's kind of like, oh, we're just going to sit in the 6,000s for a while and we'll just hang tight here. Don't really want to go anywhere. Like it is, it is interesting to see that it's, uh, it's kind of stabilizing uh, 
a, a huge amount since early days and no one's really talking about that. They still talk about the volatility, but Bitcoin's become a lot more stable uh, since it, when it started. Uh, if you look at just the logarithmic charts uh, on any of the, the exchanges and just see the proportion that it's been shifting before compared to what it is now, things, things look pretty good from my end. And that, that's a natural process as markets mature. That's yeah. just as more people get involved and in everything at all, people tend to um, even things out. And, and even as much as I talk about about futures, having an ability to short and long puts a tether on fast moves up and down. Right. So that's that why has calmed things drastically from this point last year. Absolutely. I think that futures markets are very helpful for uh, calming things as well. So maybe that's why people want ETFs. Maybe they think that it'll bring more stability. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens there. Um, I, <laughs> it's hard to know. Um, but let's, let's move on. Uh, EOS has created uh, their EOS Alliance. So they've launched that. The initial board members include prominent EOS influencers Brock Pierce, Bancor, Liquid EOS, co-founder Galia Bernatzi, uh, who's from Bancor, and multi-platinum music artist Akon. So uh, who wants to take the reins on this one? I'll, I'll jump in uh, first. I feel like that's the start of like a Lonely Island video or something like, <laughs> and Akon. <laughs> so what? <laughs> What's he doing here? It's actually really interesting. I feel like he's been kind of going down the blockchain rabbit hole recently. I mean, look, it's it's a real kind of double-edged sword when you get these personalities like this on board with something. We've seen a lot of celebrity representations in cryptocurrency. We had the boxer who was backing Centra Tech, which was like a total scam. And then we have, you know, Lionel Messi backing Siren Labs, for example. And it's just, he took a picture one time. It's just these photo op things. But I feel like with Akon, it may, may be a little bit different where he's actually um, gifted all this land in Senegal and he wants to start sort of a, a community there. And now Bancor, it's interesting that they're on <clears throat> because Bancor has been issuing local community currencies in, I think, Kenya. And so they've been going into small villages where no one has any money, right? And we've seen this play out in lots of cities around the world where they, they issue their own currency for their city. And so they're actually issuing digital currencies for these towns and villages so that they, people can transact value there. And so that's really interesting. And I think if, if that's what we see kind of moving forward with um, that in Senegal for Akon, being involved with EOS and Bancor and all this, it could be really interesting, actually, and a great way to empower small communities that otherwise are suffering under corrupt financial systems. Interesting. So I'm always a little bit like I, I'm kind of watching EOS from afar. I was going to do a, a video exploring it a little more because it seems like this weird mesh of how do we move forward quickly enough and get things you know implemented um and also uh, it seems to be quite centralized which i think you know shocked a lot of people when it when it um when it first came out like did anyone have a differing opinion on that am i am i just being paranoid that it seems quite quite centralized in nature there was a lot of panic about <laughs> about how much power the block producers really had when they started freezing accounts. And there's been a lot of discussion about that since then. Um, good friend of mine, Luke Stokes is involved with EOS DAC and he's been dealing with that since the start. And, you know, I mean, basically nobody should have been that surprised because 
that was how it was designed. They were supposed to be able to come in. There was not, you know, the Dow hack would not have been an issue. All these locked contracts would not have been an issue because the EOS block producers could come in and save the day. That was the intent of it. But I don't think people realized what that actually meant when compared to other cryptos. And then when it happened so soon after launch, they freaked out a bit. And you know, there, there's a whole bunch of other things going on in EOS and, you know, with some of the, the RAM issue or whatever. And Luke might hit me if I talk about that too much more. But um, <laughs> I, I think that um, they have real possibility to fit a niche. But it's not what people wanted it to be, I feel. Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing here. It says that the EOS Alliance will be capping its budget at a million dollars per year. And all the EOS Alliance financial information will be publicly available. And so I think that's an interesting thing to see is like the legs of EOS starts to grow and then run on its own because um, we, I mean, I personally don't know what they're going to do with the billions of dollars that they raised with block one. <laughs> um, so for like these financial legs to be saying like, I'm going to hold, we're going to hold ourselves transparent to the community. I think that might instill a bit more trust from the rest of people that are going like, well, what is going on with the billions of dollars that was raised? And <clears throat> not being put into deploying the capital or the capital as well as the code um, that's been put on the shoulders of the community. So I'll be interested in wa watching where these alliances um, spend their money. And, and, and there's many other alliances for EOS being built right now as well. So we'll, it'll be interesting to kind of track them all and see the differing views and strategies for building community. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm definitely excited to see what happens. I'm I'm always hopeful. I mean, my stance is always whichever money takes control out of the hands of, of central banks is always good by me. So um, I'm I'm excited to see what happens and I wish them all the best. I just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know too much about it at the moment. And it's always interesting when you have these huge ICOs that get so much money. And I, I often wonder, like, how are they storing their money? Like, in what currency? Like, did they trade out and go into fiat? Did they move, you know, are they... they with, with EOS, they've, they've sold all their Ethereum. They sold it all. It's all gone. They, they cashed out completely. And they did that the, before the markets got too low. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I also wonder how much uh, some of this has affected the markets. Like, did we see a huge downturn because we had a giant boom in 2017? 2018 has also been insane. Just huge mm -hmm. amounts of money. Like, it was $6.6 billion last year. And then we'd already surpassed that by, you know, end of Q1 this year and the amount of money raised. So are we just seeing a bunch of people cashing out their Bitcoin and their Ethereum uh, from these ICOs and that's tanked the markets? Like, I, I wonder... Um, if there's enough volume there to to tank that, and if you know, has, has anyone been following the the price movements and seen like giant chunks being cashed in, and that's why we've seen huge dips? I've heard a lot of people talking about it. I've not personally followed it because I tend to be more focused on the build side than the money movement side. But that is certainly something a lot of people who don't like EOS have accused them of doing. And you can look at transactions and see a lot of EOS that moved around out of their ICO coffers. Well, I also don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, if they want to 
you know, be moving money from one currency to another. It's totally their prerogative. So when if people are using it as like a weapon, like a, I'm a, I accuse you of cashing out your ether. Like, <laughs> How dare you take I, your money? Uh, I might cash out my ether right now too, you know? It doesn't <laughs> seem like that bad, bad idea right now. Um, so it is, but it is interesting. Also, like speaking of EOS, uh, I mean, speaking of ether, um, I've been following uh, this lady on Twitter who's been watching the Genesis block of ether and just seeing huge transactions in the last few months being moved from the Genesis block. So it seems like people are cashing in uh, some of the original uh, ether that was created as well. So that's that's also interesting. Um, don't know if anyone else has been following that, but I think it's to the tune of like 200,000 ether has been uh, cashed out in the last in the last two months, which is hmm. significant. That's a little money. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just need some funds to, you know, keep running development and stuff like this too. I think it's without specific information, people can create a lot of things in their mind. Like with the EOS, for example, yeah, they sure they sold four billion dollars worth of Ethereum on the market, but but that's okay. They raised that, and if that's a AFM sees that as a problem, it's only because the crypto markets are so small that shouldn't actually move anything, right? Like we don't have this conversation when. I don't know, a, a giant corporation gets sold for $100 billion. Like, oh, what, you, what the fuck's that going to have on the dollar? Because the market's <laughs> big enough, right? But the reality is the crypto market's small. So if somebody does dump $4 billion worth of Ether, yeah, it might drive the price down or at least create downward pressure, which then when you have a bunch of other ICOs, panic selling and stuff, you run into this kind of situation. Right. No, for sure. So hopefully as the, the market grows, we'll see less of this... Uh, um, uh, watchdog behavior that's that's going on, but it is uh, it is interesting to be keeping an eye on things at the moment. Maybe given as an indication of uh, where different people see prices moving in future. Uh, who knows? Let's uh, let's like to read tea leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's move on to, uh, we're talking about football and the Premier League club's trial of cryptocurrencies. Uh, they're predicting, they're experts involved with football at the moment who are predicting that Bitcoins will replace sterling into the transfer industry. Who wants to chat a little bit about this? We talked on it briefly in the last show, but I think there's more to discuss there. Well, I just thought it was very interesting that the Premier League is moving this way and that they're talking this way about using Bitcoin instead of actual money and how it will somehow help improve transparency. But they're also doing sponsorship deals and paying in Bitcoin and such. And I, I think in the end, that's only good in that we are using Bitcoin and using cryptocurrency as money. I mean, that's the whole point of this. So I, I don't see any negatives out of this, just bigger people. And, you know, we want bigger people with more money to come in and the Premier League people have a little bit of money. Yeah, and you have eToro as, as the center point for this. So apparently they paid different clubs to get involved with, with Bitcoin. So that's interesting as well. Actually, it kind of reminds me of how PayPal first started mm -hmm. out when they were paying people and saying, hey, start an account, we'll give you $10. And obviously that's not sustainable Like when, when you start to scale, um, but it definitely got them huge amounts of volume right at the start and enabled them to eventually merge and become the largest you know, digital payment uh, network that we have at the moment. So if they are actually using that as an incentive to get clubs involved, um, it is very interesting to see. 
I think it'll be interesting on the individual level. Like they said that they they were hands off after it was transferred and it was up to the individual to figure out what they wanted to do with it. And so, you know, I think it's an interesting thing to think about because I remember back a long time ago, I was paid in crypto and it and it flew up to a thousand dollars. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like my paychecks are getting a lot, <laughs> a lot bigger. And then and then one day it all was gone. And, and that was like one of the hardest pills to swallow. And I think that's what a lot of people are feeling with this last market is that they bought in. But there is a difference when you're earning versus when you're purchasing in the market in a psychology sense. Because when I earned that, I don't know the exact rate of Bitcoin when I earned it, right? But when I buy Bitcoin, I know the exact rate at which I'm buying it. And so I think it'll be interesting to see since it is the chief executive, Paul Barber, that's saying, like, this is an experiment and we're hoping to understand the other potential that blockchain offers in the sense of, like, sports or institutions or technology and knowledge. I mean, blockchain is so widespread that it's just exciting that people that are within these institutions are starting to go like, well, yeah, it's money, but also maybe we could do something else in a more transparent way. So I think it's all Absolutely. for the good. Yeah. It's, there's so many potential because that market's so big. I look at all the secondary effects and think, okay, well, they're paying all these football players in Bitcoin. Think of that. You now have all these very highly influential crypto representatives, essentially, that are going to be out there and can go out and say, yeah, I get paid in Bitcoin and I sent Bitcoin around the world to buy my new house in Spain or whatever it's going to be. And it took a minute. Right. And, and they, they can look at that and they can tell those stories to their fans who will then get exposed to it via them talking about it in interviews and on Twitter and things like this. Not to mention that the industry itself can just see so many benefits from blockchain. I think like the ticketing industry, for example, and I know that sports are hit bad by it, just like the music industry. And there's so much counterfeiting and fraud going on, but if they can put that on the blockchain, automatically they're saving money. They're making it more efficient. They're making it more transparent. And also yeah. there's like a new app coming out or just came out for like, Major, major League Baseball, um, like trading, digital trading tokens. Baseball cards on the blockchain, Baseball right? cards on the blockchain. <laughs> and so for me, it's like this, like, well, there's going to be these high paid um, representatives from, from the sports teams. And then like, wow, well, but also I can own a, you know, a, a, a valuable digital good by owning the same type of currency. And I think it like will actually kind of bridge a gap for people between these like digital currencies and digital assets, which I think in 2019, I think Eric Voorhees said this the other day, like 2019 is the year of uh, scarce digital goods, like trading cards. And we'll see all these things start really popping up. <laughs> oh, for sure. I've been, sorry, go ahead. I said, I was just going to say, it's going to be huge. And actually there's a company working on um, having a card security wallet where you can actually see a hologram of your digital thing. So if you get the baseball player, you can see a hologram of your baseball player pop up on the card. So 
I'm sure I saw that in a movie somewhere. That had to be something in some <laughs> sci-fi movie. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love it. I've been following companies like Block V very closely who are dealing directly in the digital asset space. It seems really awesome. Like I went to the Taylor Swift concert um, uh, about a month ago. Do Excuse me, Zephyr, are you laughing at me? Are you laughing at me? I'm weeping at my future self with two daughters, so you know. <laughs> I am so obsessed. It's, it's kind of insane, actually. Um, so I went to the concert and I was like, okay, so these are two markets that are completely separate. And I'm probably the only person that, you know, exists in both of them. You got cryptocurrency and you got Taylor Swift. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to interview people about Bitcoin. And so I did. I, I went around and asked people, what do you know about it? And people gave answers like, oh, it's a stock, isn't it? Or, oh, it's kind of like this exchange thingy. Or like they didn't, they didn't really know. And then I asked them if Taylor Swift brought out her own cryptocurrency, would you use it? And unanimously it was yes, yes, 100%. So this group of people who had no idea what it was, did not understand it, would just dump into it because an influencer like Taylor Swift would offer it. That shows a huge amount of trust in that influencer. And it also shows uh, that they are open to try new things, but they just have to have someone guiding them uh, to, to go over there. And, and one of the things I said, I don't know if you guys use the Swift Life app, I definitely don't use that because that seems so silly. I don't try and collect these, you know, scarce sticker packs or anything. But I basically asked them, um, with my little knowledge of, of the, the Swift Life app, I said, listen, if Taylor Swift integrated scarce digital assets in her app, if she was like, listen, this is a, um, a, a sticker that evolves, you know, the more that you trade it back and forth or something like that, it becomes this scarce digital asset, would you use it? And they were like, this sounds really interesting. And I was like, if you could earn Taycoin uh, when you were doing things, rather than just getting upvotes, you were getting Taycoin, is that something you'd be interested in? They were like, absolutely. I said, okay, now if you could cash in some of this Taycoin for merchandise, for discounts on show tickets, to buy that exclusive sticker pack, would you do that? And they were like, 100%, this sounds amazing. So I think what we have to realize is this is not this dorky, nerdy field that we think it is, where it's like, digital asset, that sounds so esoteric and dumb. No one's gonna be interested in that. It's like, no, everyone is gonna be interested in that. Everyone. As soon as you get artists who recognize the power of this and how much money they can make because they wield such power in the markets. I mean, I would buy a Taylor Swift sticker pack with Taycoin. If I was earning my Taycoin the same way that I you know, earn Steam from posts that people may upvote, I would definitely cash that in for awesome things inside an app. So I just think that's 100% the, the next level. And uh, I agree with Voice. I think that it's just going to absolutely skyrocket over the next few years. My hope for some of these is that they're tied to good deeds um, and not just uh, like physical or, you know, digital goods. Like, for example, I had a really big gripe with Pokemon Go because there was literally almost no good that came out of it. And if they had tied like picking up trash on, on the way, <laughs> the world would have been a much better place. And so with, with authentication, with all these other things, I think we're going to see some pretty cool applications come about that reward people for, for good habits and give them scarce digital goods for doing that. I think that sounds really awesome. So One of the interesting things with these, um, with these digital assets is the ability to code in um, value. And so we could see, let's say, let's, we're going to have a, a Taylor Swift card, right? And that gets traded back and forth. Now, every time that 
that Taylor Swift card is bought and sold, it could be programmed in that 10% of the value for the purchase could go to a charity, for example. And so this is how that ecosystem could be a giving ecosystem where there, every time value is exchanged, something good happens. And the and best so part that, of it has been that it's on blockchain so that the charity is actually transparent and the person that's doing the exchanging isn't going, oh, 10% of my value is gone, but I don't know where it went. They can actually go, actually, look it. This is where it went. That's yeah. right. Went to the Women's Refuge in Chicago and, you know, and Taylor Swift is out there like, hey. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a very exciting world for sure. I um, I look forward to Taycoin and Taylor Swift, if you're watching my show, which you probably are, but you're just you know, keeping under the radar. I know how it is. You get swamped <laughs> in the chat. Just know that I'm here and willing to be an advisor. I could probably make time in my schedule if you need someone to chat to about this and getting the ball rolling. <laughs> just leaving that out there uh, in case... You won't. Um, so let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about. Uh, let's go back to the petro. So we did mention that last week. We talked about how we have this new digital currency in Venezuela, and uh, everyone in Venezuela, all the government officials, are saying, "Well, this is a great currency. We're doing wonderful things for the money supply. We've cut five zeros off our national currency, so that's going to save hyperinflation." Uh, and we have this you know, digital currency that is backed by oil. It's a commodity-backed currency, which makes it really stable. And if you actually look at it, it's backed by their government-owned oil company, which is completely crippled by debt. So let's talk about this a, a little bit here and this sort of disconnect in, in thinking that, that Venezuelan uh, officials have. Well, they, they've pegged the value of the Petro to their new Bolivar, which is, you know, the old Bolivar with five zeros taken away. That makes everything better. I know. Wait, let's peg our new digital currency to the currency we just hyperinflated. That seems like a fail-safe plan. <laughs> you can really just stop talking about it there. I mean, everything else is just, you know, frosting on top of that. But, I mean, you know, we know how it's going to end. The, the song has been played before. We've all read the book. Mm-hmm. But um, but they are they are pushing at it. I mean, they are shutting down local exchanges. They are trying to block outbound access to cryptocurrency exchanges. People that are having to use VPNs. Several of our contacts in there have had to shut down their websites or not be able to do their business anymore. Um, but they're also cracking down on people with the old currency. I had a story of a, a friend of mine, in Costa Rica, a coworker at SmartCash. He um. He had a story he told me of a guy who had a bunch of the old currency and then some guards or policemen or something stopped him and were trying to say he was trying to devalue something and yada yada just because he had the old currency. So there's a lot that nobody really knows about because there's not actually any authority for them to do this, despite what the president says. And yeah, I mean, we know what kind of government it is, but still there is conflict in the government, despite what the president says. And it's really scary and crazy down there, but I was hearing that, you know, some of the Bitcoin sites are seeing their traffic, you know, quadruple from Venezuela IP addresses. They're, they're, they're definitely interested down there. And the Petro, they're going to push really hard to ban all other cryptos, but the Petro is bringing some awareness to other cryptos to the population because while the government said, you know, is using cryptocurrency, they can't be all bad. <laughs> and it's going to be interesting to see how, how 
it shakes out because they can have, they can hold on for a long time and keep things really bad for their people. Oh, for sure. But when things fail, it's going to fail fast and hard. And it'll mm. be really interesting to see how cryptocurrency recovers in Venezuela and how the people there approach it now that they have a complete and utter lack of trust in, in any sort of government issued currency. Right. And it's great just to see the Venezuelan people have options, as we mentioned last week, like, and what you just said, you know, people are being exposed to cryptocurrency, and that's a good thing. And it's increased adoption for other kinds of cryptocurrencies, like outside of the Petro, and you have Dash initiatives down there, and you have lots of people using Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin and, and uh, some of the privacy coins, like Zencash and Zcash and Monero, and these are all things that people there are starting to explore. And if that gives them a lifeline, if that gives them an alternative, then that's awesome. Yeah. Our, our community down there is, is, is still getting together despite this. Yeah. And they're able to spend their currency at a few different places. But they're also telling me that the places aren't necessarily publicly advertising it because of fear. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to know exactly what is happening yeah. down there, despite what a and lot of people like to say. Well, it's also very, um, very scary for miners as well. So there were huge crackdowns. I remember um, we reported about this. I was on the Stossel Show talking about Venezuela, I think 2014, and about how people started to use Bitcoin. And they basically had printing presses in their their basements because they have a government, the government speaks the price of electricity there. So for almost zero cost, they were able to just run computers and uh, print mine Bitcoin. And then the government um, actually sourced where energy was uh, being used on the grid, where it was uh, the usage was coming from. And so they tracked down a bunch of the uh, miners. And it, I mean, we don't really know what happened to a lot of those people. Um, a lot of them went to jail. Uh, that's what that's what we heard, and it's just terribly scary for people who who are using cryptocurrency. It's not like this is a fail-safe lifeline. It is an option for people, and people still have to be tremendously careful using this because government is cracking down. They do not want people to have other options. Mm -hmm. They want to protect their stranglehold on the money supply. <laughs> There's a there's a common theme in our entire conversation today, and it's government is the problem. <laughs> this is the thing we have all these we have all these people trying to transact freely with each other who want to, you know, lead better lives and transact value and buy things and have freedom to do what they want. And every step along the way, government keeps getting into it, and it's crazy because I, I feel like we're reaching this point technologically where. We just don't need the politicians. We don't need the government structure anymore. We can govern ourselves mm -hmm. via blockchain. It can happen. It's it's a real shift in mentality for people. And I think for a lot of, I know, I know for you guys, but for a lot of people out there, they'd be like, oh my God, I, I, have, I have to govern myself. Like I, I'm not going to just elect someone who's going to go off and steal my money. And like, that's crazy, <laughs> but it could happen. How would I live if I kept all my money? How would I ever <laughs> yeah. survive? How would I live if the politician didn't make all my decisions for me and protect me from my bad choices? That's right, and pay their friends with my money. Well, I think yeah. that that's a great note to go out on. So just as we finish up, I do want to mention, uh, so Sarah Blinko, your grandmother in the space, uh, she, she passed away recently. I'm so sorry to hear that because she is one of the Bitcoin OGs of this space. She was someone who, when she passed away, she was 94 and a half and she was using Bitcoin. She's been following it since, was it 2012 she got involved? Yeah, yeah every morning she'd wake up and uh, check the Bitcoin 
Price on her iPad. That was like her morning cup of coffee. That's so <laughs> amazing. I wish that your grandmother and my grandmother could have had a conversation at one stage. You had women in their 90s like discussing cryptocurrency, but she sounds like an amazing, amazing woman. So uh, I just want to mention that you posted on Twitter recently that her house is up for sale at the moment and that you were looking for people in the crypto market, ideally. Um, so if people want more information about this, hopefully you're trying to sell this for cryptocurrency. I love it when people are, you know, selling their assets for crypto. Again, you just kind of disentangle yourself from a lot of the cartels out there, like the real estate cartels and all these ridiculous regular regulatory frameworks that um, really clog up the system. So I, I think it's really cool that you're you're offering this to people for cryptocurrency and if people want to check out more then they can go to your twitter page and uh find out that it's in vermont right yeah um the, the accepting crypto um obviously my family uh part of it part of the family understands it um it, it would probably take a little bit more than yep we're going to do it but uh the thought process was it's been loved by our family um it's 10 minutes from an international airport uh, in Burlington, Vermont, right next to the lake and total privacy. So I know like many of us Bitcoiners and cryptocurrency enthusiasts don't get a whole lot of privacy as we travel from conference to conference and it's a beautiful home. Uh, my thought process was if it went to somebody in the crypto community, I could still come visit. I've been stalking the, the page a little bit, so it is it is listed online. I absolutely stunning home, like beautiful natural wood finishings, uh, yeah. surrounded by all these gorgeous picturesque uh, Vermont landscape, all beautiful trees and everything. So have a look at that. I will put a link in the information of the video as well for that if anyone wants to check that out. So best of luck with, with that sale, Sarah, and um, send all of my love to your family. It's, uh, it seems that crypto runs in the blood there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, that basically wraps things up for us this week for the weekly crypto recap thank you so much to you three for joining me it's just wonderful having you here you're so insightful and just uh, keeping up with everything going on in the crypto space so wonderful having you involved we do do this live stream every friday at 4 30 eastern time so make sure that you always have your uh, your tea ready uh, for that thanks any everyone from my telegram groups uh, for joining in you're so awesome uh, if you want to find out more about those groups again check the info if you want to know more about Chris crypto Lark's show then check the info if you want to know more about uh sarah and chris's companies then check the info it's all in the info and have a wonderful weekend everyone thanks for for being here and, and sharing your friday with us may the huddle be with you i <laughs> <laughs> huddle be with you i love it all right see you, everyone bye for extra material and any links mentioned in this podcast please visit naomibrockwell.com if you'd like to watch the video version, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or DTube. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future.